Hello, and welcome to Health and Fitness Redefined. I am your host, Anthony Amen. Join me today as we take a dive into the world of health and fitness, where we learn how to overcome adversity, depict fact versus fiction, and see health and fitness in a whole new light. Today, we have an exciting guest on Mike. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. A little disclaimer for those out there. Mike has officially joined Redefine Fitness, and I didn't tell him I was doing this, but yay! Yes. Super excited to help him get started on his journey, so... Shout out that way. Yeah, I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure my trainer both hates me and loves me because I've been feeling it for the past couple of weeks. So. It is a love-hate relationship. Yeah. We're going to have to get used to it. It's a job well done. <laughs> right. But besides all that, we are here to hear all about you. So why don't you take us all the way back to young Mike about three years ago? No, just further than that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little about yourself, why you got started. You do skills of uh, training with martial arts, which is amazing. We're going to talk all about childhood development, so I'm super excited to get, dive into that. But take us back. Why childhood development? Why all this fun stuff? Back to square one. Sure. So it was kind of a roundabout journey to get here. Um, I started off in 1999. I opened my first martial arts school, uh, teaching good old school kung fu, wanted to be training adults and, and fight club and all this good stuff. And then uh, as we grew and grew, we realized that adults come with a lot of baggage and, and kids were easier to uh, influence, easier to make money off of from a business perspective. Um, but we didn't really do it well. And then in 2008, when we had the uh, economic collapse, my lease was up at the same time. We lost our school, just everything went wrong. Uh, so it was actually much like 2020 has been a great opportunity for us to redefine ourselves. Love that term. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> See how I worked that in there? Uh, so we took the opportunity to get ourselves better trained. We realized that, you know, even though we had never thought to train children, that we were actually really good at it. Uh, we just didn't have, I guess, the technical know-how. So we started some training with uh, Melody Johnson, who runs Skills Worldwide. And we started delving into the science and psychology of teaching. And we found that the impacts we were having on people's lives and by extension on our community were now uh, not just on individuals, but on generations. And that really called to us because the world of martial arts kind of gave me my life back. Um, you know, I, I joined the Marine Corps in 1994, expecting for it to be my career, and I got hurt and only ended up serving about seven months. I didn't do anything but push paper. Um, so I wasn't sure what to do with myself, and martial arts kind of gave me that back. So it, it's a nice way for me to now turn that around and give it back to the next generation. What, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of injury that to that point it was nothing glamorous i mean the, the the marines out there now are facing amazing challenges and overcoming them i pretty much broke a hand during a time when uh president clinton wanted to shrink the military so anything that happened you were out uh so it, it was nothing like amazing <laughs> and then the transition you went from being in the marines to Martial arts, you said it gave you your life back. Can you expand a little more on that? Sure. So I, I grew up in a, a pretty small town, Eastport, New York, here on Long Island, population of about eight, and 12 of them were related. You can do the math. Uh, and it, it was not... By the way, I'm moving, like, right next door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually had some of my first drinking experiences. By the way, this athletic brewing company stuff is great. Uh, I had some of my first... Uh, 
drinking experiences up in the woods, probably by right where you're buying your house. So that's crazy to think about. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after um, after I got discharged, I really didn't have any direction in my life because for 19 years I grew up believing that going into the military was my life, and then that didn't happen. So. Uh, I ended up getting into a little bit of trouble, got into some drugs and alcohol, and one day I just kind of woke up and said, you know, if I do this one more day, I probably won't have one more day. So I got on my motorcycle, still kind of um, different-minded at the time, uh, and I rode over to this martial arts school that I'd been passing for years and years and years, and I walked in, and, and I told the man who became my teacher that, you know, this is what's going on, can you help me? And he hasn't been able to kick me out since. So it really did save my life from myself. What martial arts school? Uh, at the time, it was Shaolin Kung Fu Studios over in Mastic Shirley area. So now it is 4GK Martial Arts because when my, tire, when my teacher retired, I actually took it over. And we moved to the Four Corners area of Pachog. So it was originally the Four Gate School of Chinese Martial Arts. But that doesn't sound good in marketing. So everybody just used to call us for GK and that's just what we rebranded as. That's awesome. That's a crazy story. So you get it in the rings, you don't know where you're going in life and then something you've passed by hundreds of times, you just said, today's the day I'm going in. Yeah, and it was no questions asked. I mean, I walked in and you know, you're know, you kind of in the industry, you know how you have to give people the sales pitch and teach them the values and then give them the price proposition. It was just like, yeah, I don't need any of that. Where do I sign? So I was probably the easiest sale ever in that school. You'd be shocked. That's most people that we see. Really? Yeah. That it gets to the point because a lot going to a gym where you just want to get a basic membership. Yeah, I can understand selling and blah, blah, blah. This is why you need this. Personal training, you're at that point. I need help. Yeah. A little bit different mindset. And I think you know, that's also some of the business lessons we talk about nowadays is when you kind of raise that price point, you get people who are looking for something a little bit more anyway. And, you know, I think that's where the personal training realm kind of comes in. Yeah. And then you said, talked a little bit, you went, you started off working with adults. You were thinking it's all about adults, adults, adults. You realized that's crazy. And then now you work with kids. Any sort of, like, what was that transition like? going from working with adults to with kids. Why did you go reach out to skills? What made them stand out that you wanted to affiliate yourself with them? Tell us a little about that. Sure. So uh, I had been following Melody for many, many years because she is the foremost expert in our field, in our industry. Um, and she's very giving of her information, her time, her attention. So, you know, we'd been trying to glean as many tidbits as we could. Back then we had a different mindset. It was always like, what can I get for the cheapest? And, you know, and, and she's not cheap. <laughs> um, so when we had the chance to reopen the school after we closed in 2008, uh, we just had so many people coming in saying, well, do you teach three-year-olds? And it was always, well, no, I only teach, you know, big, strong men. And uh, one day I was looking around and I was like, we just had 30 calls for three-year-olds in the past four days. And then the next person that called said, do you teach three-year-olds? And I said, yes. Uh, so we started that class a week later and I had 15 three-year-olds. Three of them went out the front door. Two of them went out the back door. Three of them had me tied up. It was just horrible. So I said, you know, I understand the value of training as a martial artist, uh, as a teacher. So at that point, we put a lot on credit cards, invested with Melody's organization. Um, and we really went to her because she's very science-minded. Um, she is a very 
caring and empathetic person and does a lot on intuition, but it's all based and backed by science and psychology. And that calls to me. Um, I have a degree in massage therapy. So when you start talking science and how things work and how things all connect, you know, that, that really draws me in. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. So you, you get started, you started working with kids a little more, and you talked a lot about the psychology behind working with kids. So tell me a little bit about what, what's the benefit if I'm saying, if I had a three-year-old, hey, we're going to go to you, what, what can I expect the benefit of my child being? Sure. So we're, we're actually in an interesting uh, phase in our growth uh, that we are creating a brand new industry of child development centers. Normally, when you think of child development centers, you think of either child care or uh, something clinical. And we are working on becoming kind of the lay person for that, those industries. So when you come into my school, what you're going to expect is that, first of all, everything is individually tailored to every single student, much like you guys do in personal training, such that you know we do a pre-evaluation where we're assessing everybody physically, intellectually, emotionally, and socially. We are pointing out strengths that every child has, challenges that every child has based on what we've seen, and tying that to what the parent has brought us anecdotally. So one of the most common things is, uh, my child needs discipline. Well, okay, what does discipline mean to you? Because that either means they need to stand there and shut up, or it means they need to be able to make better decisions. These are the two kind of stereotypes that we see. Not throw rocks in windows. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mike never did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it gives us the chance to kind of talk to you as the parent, find out what your needs and expectations are, measure that against what we observe with the child, and then come up with something that uh, brings us to the child from wherever they are, developmentally, to a point of success. And we all know that success is defined a little differently for yeah. everybody. Uh, so whereas like the um, physical therapist would take your child from a point of injury or physical dysfunction back to a point of health, we see it as our job to take your child from that point of health to a point of success. So that's what you would get at my school. And if they're working with you, is it something more where it's just a just doing karate, kung fu kind of stuff, or is it encompassed in everything like what else what more do you do to work with them because you're hitting all these different aspects of growing up which i think is important but i just wanted to get a little more of understanding have exactly like if i came in here's my three-year-old what are you doing with them if they need let's say more discipline sure and that, that's a really great question and i wish more parents asked questions like that um you know when you come in uh we want you to look at our school and just see it as your local martial arts school. Because to the kids, if I tell the kids, well, we're going to be working on your sense of proprioception today, the child goes like, yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. so we want them I to say just- I that to adults and I still get that look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want them to come in and just say, wow, this is a fun place. I'm gonna learn some kicks and punches. The magic really happens behind the scenes where our instructors are always looking at, uh, we do everything in sets of eight. So we have eight skills, we call them, or eight areas that each child is naturally developing at a particular stage of development. Uh, so for example, five-year-olds don't really play very well together, but by the time they're six or seven, they've mastered that skill and they can start doing team activities. So we took that and made it our teamwork skill. And you'll see that in every drill that we do, we are working on very specific things that encourage teamwork. So we're not really doing any magic, we're just supercharging the natural tendencies that kids already have. Paired with that, we have a comprehensive uh, training program for parents that allows them to bring home 
the methods and lessons that we use because very often you hear like, well, you could get my kid to do this, but I can't get my kid to do this. So we teach them how we use the magic. It's all ninja magic. That's awesome. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway out of all of it where I'm sending my kid to you and the second they go home, they don't do it. It's the same thing as personal training. I'm seeing my client once or twice a week and then they're all like, I can't, I'm not with them 24 seven, but if you can take a parent who is with that kid 24 seven and help teach them and follow up like as homework for them, basically, that's huge. It is. And you know, when we look at cognition and, and the way that children learn, and it's probably the same for adults, but it's not really my area of expertise. When you introduce an intellectual lesson to a child, they retain about 10% of it, unless they can connect it to something. So when we give them something to which they can connect it in class, all right, we're going to work on your ability to pay attention to the way you do things. We call this technique. We're going to learn that by the way you punch. We have to have certain details. We want you to pay attention the same way to everything you do. Now I've connected it to an activity they're doing. If I can further immerse them in that by having the home environment also reinforce that. Well, what did Sifu Mike say about making your bed and your technique skill? Did you really use your best technique when you made that bed? Now it really uh, just makes it the way that kids live, not something that they have to roll their eyes at and say, oh, this is that lesson or this is that homework. You know, it just becomes their natural state. It's that gamification model, which is kind of what I'm getting out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are all game-based. Um, so we, we border between game-based and play-based. Uh, the difference being the amount of structure. So usually with our game-based stuff, it's very directed at a specific task or goal. And then with the, the play-based, we also find very important because until a child starts to bring the lesson out in their free play, they're not able to fully integrate it into their, uh, their vision of themselves. Yeah. I just kind of want to talk a little bit just personally about Let's say I went to you as a child. Okay. Just uh, full disclosure, I was heavily bullied as a kid. So I remember when I went to karate because my mom was like, okay, you need to learn a little self-defense to stand up for yourself. I did it, but I, I never really fully encompassed. I felt like I was learning. And I, I just, what would you do differently? I remember going to classes where it was, okay, learn this kata. And then let's see how many push-ups you can do. Great. How does that help teach me when I have five kids against me pushing me up against the locker and trying to take my lunch money? Sure. And that brings up a really good point. Uh, you know, we have a lot of parents that come to us for the same reasons. And for us, yes, we are going to teach a certain amount of physical technique uh, so that your child can physically keep themselves safe. But the physical stage of development is only one area we focus on. So we are also working on helping build confidence because I was also bullied uh, mostly because of my lack of confidence. I was always the biggest kid around, one of the strongest kids around, one of the smartest kids around, but I didn't have a lot of confidence. So I became a target. So we look at a child's sense of self-determination, a child's sense of self-efficacy, which is their belief in their ability to be able to do things. And when we can provide them, first of all, uh, physical and intellectual competence in things and make them not only hear us say it, but hear themselves say that something is really powerful or good, uh, that puts them in a state of uh, reference where the bullies aren't necessarily looking at them. 
when you tie that to the social stages of development and the emotional stages of development where they don't have to necessarily be reactionary to a bully. You know, I always got in trouble because I had a smart mouth, you know, and the bully would say something. I'd be like, you know, oh, yeah, well, your mom said, you know, that and that would get me beat up. <laughs> so by coaching them on, um, you know, emotional detachment from the situation and on some social skills that will, first of all, allow them to de-escalate, but more importantly, build them social networks that are beyond the five or six people they see every day. You know, when, when you're being bullied, you believe the whole world is like that and it will never get better because that's all you see. So by building social networks where it's, all right, this person believes that, but I have 40 other people over there that make me feel good about myself, it really helps. So for us, it's not about fight back against the bully, though I have no problem with that. It's build a lifestyle where the bully doesn't even belong in your life. I think that's important. A big underlying reason that I kind of let it all get to me. I was more, was not on the physical side, but verbally abused throughout all of school. And I remember that specifically why I didn't have any networks, but thank God I had my family because my parents would always take me on vacations and we'd go all across the world. And my mindset, it was like, okay, I know that my family has a network at home. I know that the world's bigger than just my school. And that was what really kept me going. Cause then I learned that school was, everything wasn't about the seven to three that I was in school. Yeah, and that's so important. And we see it nowadays too, even you know, in the fitness industry, uh, there's so many people that feel alone right now. You know, And it's not that we're having to face a bully, you're just facing 2020. Uh, <laughs> that's a that bully. That is the bully. That is the bully. <laughs> you know, so it's really important for us to be able to talk to one another, uh, for us to be able to, I don't wanna say commiserate because that's not my mindset anymore, but to be able to just get it off your chest, to be able to say, well, me too, and now it's not me alone, it lets us get back to that mindset of, okay, now that that's out, let's keep moving forward. So it's a lesson that you know, really follows through to adulthood. Yeah, I think it's super important. I learned through all of it how to become self-confident. I've learned how to not be an introvert anymore, to be an extrovert. I learned that I want, didn't want other people feeling like I ever did kind of all these reasons building up to what I do now. <laughs> so it, I totally agree. If I had a backing like something like that, I believe that I probably would have been better off during those moments instead of being one of the lucky few that was able to self-teach myself because that's not yeah. common. And I've learned that growing up, I tell people, this is how I got over it. They go, by yourself? So yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's also we need people to give us permission. You know, I, I grew up out east and I wanted to play football. We didn't have a football team, so I ended up playing football in Riverhead. You know, I was the only white kid and it never bothered me. Uh, but sometimes it bothered some of the other kids. So I, I was a different kid, you know. Um, and one time my coach, uh, Stan Woodson, who's no longer with us, but he affected so many kids on the east end of Long Island. Um, you know, he kind of gave me permission to say, you know, it doesn't matter. You're part of this team. You're equal you're allowed to stand up for yourself. And then one day there was a big fight. And after that though, it was all, everybody was just a team. And it was just that I needed that permission, that higher, I guess, mentoring uh, influence to be able to let me say, well, I don't deserve this anymore. That's awesome. I wanna go back into a little bit about childhood development. I was a psych major, so I find this all very intriguing. It was something I really heavily focused on was children, all the Freudian models. 
<laughs> Freud is more about making children. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Too much cocaine in his days. Yeah. But tell, what, what's the youngest you work with? And what kind of developments have you seen progress? Is this something where a kid's going to come a couple sessions and then be better? Or is it something where it's over a lifetime? Talk us a little bit about the mental aspect of, of it and stuff like that. I'm sure you get a lot of kids that might have not just issue A, but issue A, B, C, D, E. Sure. So how do you work with somebody who's got five different issues that they need to address in the situation? Sure. So we start as young as 18 months old. 18 months? 18 months. Um, you know, the latest research in education shows that early childhood development, uh, that, that toddler through preschool is actually some of the most impactful time in a child's life as far as education. Uh, and in our modern education models, uh, it tends to get forgotten a little bit. We don't pay attention to them till they're either pre-K or kindergarten. Uh, so we have a chance to really go in, and at that age, also it's a, a mommy and me or a parent and me, because uh, there's some dads and grandparents, to really impact their level of connection. And when kids have strong connection to their parents, they actually do become more confident, contrary to popular belief. Um, so it, it gives us a chance to have a big impact. So as kids come in with us uh, and they have challenges, not every child comes in with a challenge. Sometimes they come in and they say, well, I just want to learn how to punch and kick and swing around swords. And that's cool too, because a, having a sense of fun in your life is very important. Part of the uh, what we do is giving parents the permission to, first of all, admit that there's a challenge. Uh, very often they'll bring a child to us because something's not quite right, but then you ask, are there any learning disabilities, any uh, physical inhibitions? Uh, you know, you go through your checklist, just like when I signed up for personal training, I wanted any, any problems with you. Uh, the answer is always no. And then you find out, well, they're on this medication. Well, they go to this special school. Full disclosure, the biggest thing for us is asthma. People yeah. don't tell us until after they ran the five-minute mile. Oh, no. And they're like, <laughs> by the way, I have asthma. Well, where's your inhaler? Oh, I didn't bring it. Yeah. I don't have asthma. I'm just out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, giving them that permission to recognize that, look, just because your child is having a challenge, whether it's something temporary, and yes, sometimes we do only help for a month or so. Sometimes we do. Some of our students have been with us for decades. Um, giving them the permission to relieve the stigma of it and just talk about here's where my child is because you know we learned this in business mindset too you can't really plot a path to where you want to be until you know exactly where you are and what you're dealing with uh, so we do a lot of discovery in the first month or so of, of a person's membership where we're observing we're making notes we're having meetings about each child so that we really dig deep into what we can see and from there we also start to talk to the child about their goals, which is something that a lot of people miss. You talk to the parent, like, what do you want for little Johnny? Oh, well, I want him to grow up and be confident. And you ask little Johnny what he wants, and you know, I want a pony. You know, it's totally not <laughs> relevant. But then we can take that and make connections and start to craft visions. Well, if you want to have a pony, that means you have to be a very responsible person, which means I know that in my training, as we do our intellectual component, I can start to adjust that child's view of themselves to make it so that they see themselves as a responsible person. So we, not to get too sciencey, but we start to leverage uh, psychology and life coaching techniques like engaging the reticular activating system, which is the part that makes uh, those affirmations every morning work. When you yeah. start to say out loud, well, I believe I'm a responsible person, 
your RAS says, wow, we're responsible people. I better look around for opportunities to show that I'm responsible. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a very positive way. Um, but we don't tell the kids this. We just tell them, oh, we're going to break this board and punch this block. And we, it's like hiding the onions in the meatloaf so that they don't see them. We do the same thing. You think you're just getting through a workout. Well, you're not learning what you're doing for your body, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and why we're doing certain exercises. I love when people tell me, oh, you just made up stuff in your head. Well, yes and no. I've made up, I didn't plan this workout, well, write it out, but. That's expertise, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to go looking through textbooks to figure out how to get you to kick better because I have a certain level of expertise. I'm already, uh, you know, at a much higher level of. Uh, like Bloom's taxonomy, I understand, I integrate. Uh, I'm not just down here looking up things online for you to do. So it's very different when I work with a personal trainer, whereas I would have to go home and be like, all right, what's the right way to do a push-up? And, you know, how do I get good traps? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a big one is traps. And I never understood that. Everyone wants big shoulders. I'm like, that just looks like nah, three necks. I'm a leg guy. <laughs> you know, I want to work legs and glutes. And I agree. But I want to talk. I'm a parent, right? I have a kid at home. What can I do to maybe, what are some good advice you can give parents at home to help their kids growing up? They don't have access to, let's say you or anyone from skills. What's some advice we can give parents at home to help their childhood development? Maybe they need to work on confidence issues. As a parent, what can I do to help my kid? So there's really two areas that we focus on with parents. And the first is moderating expectations. Um, you know, So very often, we hear, you know, I, I tell my kid to go put on his shoes and, and he goes up to his room and then I find him sitting in his underwear with one shoe on his head playing Xbox and he never pays attention. And it wasn't really that the child did anything wrong. It's that maybe at that child's stage of development, he can only process two commands. So when you said go upstairs, put on your shoes, come back down, put your jacket on and let's go. He heard go upstairs and something about shoes, <laughs> you know, and by moderating the parent's expectation, we can allow them to function at a level, a parenting level, that's more in line with what their kids need. The second aspect is to remember that the, the kids, first of all, are not little adults, though adults are just big kids. Um, to remember that they are people. Uh, so you see very often a parent will say, you know, well, sit there, be quiet, I'm talking to somebody. Well, that child had a valid thing that he wanted to say, and you just totally discounted him. So now what does that do for his levels of confidence? He doesn't believe that he's worth speaking to other people. And sometimes we get poo-pooed and look, it's psychology and psychology is kind of this mainline pseudoscience anyway. Um, so people don't always necessarily believe it, but if they believe me and they take it on a leap of faith and I could advise you, you know, Anthony, when you go home and you're having this challenge, first I want you to take a breath and recognize that it's not about you being upset or late to get to work. It's that your child right now needs help tying his shoes. So that has to be the first focus. And to remember that when you give instructions, keep it to two, you know, go upstairs and get your shoes and then sit down and put your shoes, then put on your jacket and let's go. And by breaking that down into meaningful chunks over time, you're going to have a much better relationship with your child. So you're not, it's less of just spewing off five, six, seven things. It's more of just, here's the direction. Do this, do A, not do B. Right. And, you know, there are at different stages of development, kids operate differently. So, you know, we hear about the three-year-olds and he just doesn't listen to me. Well, a three-year-old has about 20 to 30% of their language ability. So if you took two years of French in high school, 
And then nowadays you want to go sit in a French family, you might get every third word because you recognize like, we, oui, s'il vous plaît, and that's it. But you won't get the whole conversation. And that's the same thing with the three-year-old. With a teenager, they're going to understand every single word you say, and they're probably smarter than you. They just don't have the wisdom that you have. And they don't know that they don't know that. So you're going to ask them to do something simple and they're going to roll their eyes and be like, you don't even know how to do the quadratic equation. Why am I listening to you? You know, and they are actually wired to be lazy because their bodies are about to go through developmental changes and growth spurts and, and brain rewiring. So when you can start to understand why your child does things that they do, it, it lets you kind of take the burden off of, um, you know, having to discipline them. I'm doing air quotes for the people at home. Discipline. <laughs> but there's also the flip side of something I've noticed where maybe not so much my generation, but you're like the people generation younger than me where they didn't have discipline. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I've always thought it was the flip side of that where I see kids that instant gratification is huge. They want everything now because that's what technology has taught sure. them. And they don't listen to the parents they don't care at all. And actually what they'll say is my mom and dad are just going to call and get me an A anyway. So I don't need to bother paying attention. So what's something you would say f- to help that ads like the flip side of it, where people think that especially kids younger than me are not disciplined enough. Sure. And, and that's a legit concern. You know, we tend to have these swings generationally. So, you know, like my parents tended to be a little more authoritarian. Uh, you know, they were not maybe the, poster child for authoritarian, but they tended to be like, this is what I told you to do. I expect it to be done. Uh, And and parents in the next generation tend to be way to the other end. They hated that. So they say, I will never be like my mother. Uh, And they go too far the other way. And somewhere in the middle lies this healthy medium. And I think a lot of it comes down just to the fact that parents are not educated to be parents. You know, you know how to become a parent. You practice how to become easy. a parent as much as possible, <laughs> you know, but, but nobody gives you that book. You know, maybe you get the Dr. Spock book, which is from how many decades ago. And it's not the current understanding of what happens with the human species. So through a little bit of education, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. So, you know, while I don't necessarily believe in discipline as punishment, to me, discipline is more like Uh, a sense of learning. And if you look at the true root word of discipline, you look at maybe the disciples in the Bible. They were the followers of the lessons. So if I can teach you, that's discipline. I want you making good decisions, not just doing what I tell you. Because then when you grow up, what do you become? Somebody that just does what they're told or somebody who rebels against what they were told because they never had that freedom. When I can be in the middle, I can certainly have consequences for when you make a mistake. But I want the consequences tied to the fact that you did the wrong thing, not the fact that I'm upset about it. If you do the wrong thing and I'm upset and I say, go to your room and wait there until I beat you, that's about me. You know, and this was my childhood. My stepfather was all about that. The, the psychological terror of go wait in your room, bend over the bed. And when I feel like it, I'm going to come in and beat you. And, you know, when you can make it about what went wrong. Okay, so you had a temper tantrum and you threw your iPad. So now I'm going to take away your iPad because, not because I'm angry at you, but because you showed me that maybe you're not ready to have an iPad if you're going to be that over-emotional about it. Let's talk about how we can make this better. So it's always about a lesson. And then 
as I give those lessons, and then it's not just give the lesson and expect, it's give the lesson, re-give the lesson, assess, re-give the lesson. It takes a lot of effort. And I think that's why today, especially where we're all working three jobs and running around and I've got to be on a Zoom call and, you know, it's really hard to find that time to teach the kids. And that's really what they need. They need to be taught. Yeah, it's a little more about teaching, educating, and finding that happy median, especially like what you said where, you know, these kids are going to grow up and not understand the sense of discipline. They're going to just expect and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. I want someone to tell me what to do and that's how I'm going to act. That to me, what clicked right away was, so then I have to become entrepreneurs. Yeah. And that's a huge one for me because learning about entrepreneurship changed my life uh, as far as a business owner. So now I start kids as young as nine years old on entrepreneurship classes. You know, in the old days we said, oh, well, we're going to teach them math and they'll get critical thinking and we're going to teach them debate club and they'll learn how to negotiate. That's too passive for me. So we go in and we teach. I have eight skills that we teach for entrepreneurship. Um, and, and we just had some kids put together their own company. Six kids between the ages of nine and 12 put together their own company, ran their own event that was completely COVID safe, marketed it uh, and everything. And in the course of two weeks, they made themselves 175 bucks. Not a lot of money, but compared to like the $2 that you have to wait for for the Tooth Fairy, it's an active 175 bucks. That's awesome. That's actually like a really good thing. And that's always my problem with schools was we're never taught. I, I get a lot of backlash and I just want to hear your opinion about this, where I personally believe schools, and I don't really want to dive too much into it, brainwash people to work for people. They kind of pull out that entrepreneurship aspect. You hear all the time where you're meeting with the counselor, what job are you going to get? Yeah. Who are you going to work Who for? Who are you going to work for? Then you go to college and it's like, all right, what degree are you going to get to work for this company? You're going to go into internship and work. There's never a class of, okay, how can we help develop your own company to push your own ideas, to help you be creative about it? That doesn't exist anymore. Sure. And if you look at the education system, uh, it goes back over 1,500 years to the first universities being founded. The purpose of the American education system is to create college students. The purpose of the college educational system is to create higher learning college students. The purpose of higher learning college is to create researchers within the educational environment who turn around and become teachers for the next generation. So the American educational system is not about job preparation. Uh, and I'm speaking very generally. There are exceptions for sure. Um, it's about creating scholars. And there is nothing wrong with that except that most of us are not going to become scholars. <laughs> um, there are some school districts, Pat Med School District here on the island uh, has a program run by Mr. Jason Smiloff where they take kids and they do teach them entrepreneurship. They go into specializations, they bring in represent representatives from the industries, mentors, business mentors, and they actually have a program where uh, in partner with the Chamber of Commerce, they set up a business and they run that business throughout the school year and then they assess and then they shift roles. Who's going to serve as the CEO for this rotation and who's going to be the marketing wow, professional? Awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. And we've had a couple of these kids come to our facility to intern and they are just well-adjusted, hope-inspiring kids. You know, I love it. Shout out to that guy, man. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. I love what he's doing there. If I didn't have my parents that own their own business, I probably never would have. But I knew from a young age because of dinner table conversation about how we're doing this is, uh, with our business. What are we doing this? What are we doing this? And then I learned, like, hey, I don't want to work for people. 
Yeah, and you know, my first experience with entrepreneurship was my cousin. Um, he was a just repetitive entrepreneur, always had the next idea. His problem was he fell more into the get rich quick. I'm just going to do this. So like nowadays I hate the word just because it's, it's like you had something good and then you slacked on it. So he never really found success, um, but he was always of the mindset that, okay, that didn't work. What's the next thing? So in the beginning, it was always, oh, entrepreneurs are just, you know, they're, they're shystery, get rich quick. And then I saw some successful examples of it. I started following people on social media that were successful uh, repeat entrepreneurs. And I got to see that, well, his problem wasn't his entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset. It was his lack of follow through, you know. So now starting something or finishing something that I started has become very important to me. Yeah, that's a big thing. Where's pivot. You have to learn to pivot and you're going to fail and you're going to fail again and you're going to fail again, but you're not switching off to a different idea. I'm just taking what I have and just yeah. adapting. Let's say you have to realize that failure is not the opposite of success. It is a part of success. You, you can't be successful unless you're willing to fail. Uh, and, and the opposite of success is actually not trying. That's so true. So what's uh, like some take home advice you can give to your parent, uh, to parents, to help with their kids, to push them towards success. Give us like a big take home message to help uh, get everyone going. So the first part is if you want your kids to be successful, you need to be successful. Now this does not mean you need to be a millionaire. doesn't mean to be an entrepreneur. doesn't mean anything other than how you define it. You need to live a lifestyle where you're focused on success because kids don't become what we tell them. Kids become what they see. So they always need to see us being honest. Uh, if we want them to uh, always push forward, I have to always push forward. If I want them to be able to adapt in the middle of a pandemic, I can't be the one stomping my feet and, and holding my breath because somebody made me wear a mask. I need to do whatever it takes to move forward. If I want my child to be empathetic, I have to be empathetic. I have to apologize to my kids when I do something wrong, something not a lot of parents do. Uh, and they take on these qualities. The second thing I would do is get your kids some mentors. Usually we think of mentors for business people, but kids need mentors. And for kids, the most powerful mentors are actually near peer mentors. So if your child is six years old, they need somebody that's nine years old who's going to lead them in the right direction, keep them in a positive social circle. Um, kids, no matter how awesome I am, I'm always going to be the old guy in the room. You know, when I teach, I always have one of my leadership kids who are these nine to 12 year old kids. They're always there as an intermediary because when, you know, the teacher says it, oh, it's something I got to do. But when little Bobby, your friend says it, well, I want to be like little Bobby because he's 12 and I'm only nine. Well, you're more likely to have that. So your kids need to be surrounded and steeped in a successful circle from their parents to their friends, to the things they're watching on TV, get them off those screens unless it's appropriate and within time constraints. Uh, make sure that everything that comes into their lifestyle is positive. Not to say they have to look at the world through you know, the, the rose-colored glasses because the world is an ugly place sometimes. But we want them to see the ugliness and think about ways to make it better. That's huge. I do that all the time. And I, I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Health and Fitness Redefined. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and join us next week as we dive deeper into this ever-changing field. And remember, fitness is a journey, not a destination. Thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Thank you.